Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you that you forgive us of all our sins. You heal us of all our diseases. We thank you that you fill our mouth with goodness. You crown our head with loving kindness. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are our Father and Muslim. Importantly, we thank you that you consider us your children. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. We thank God for this opportunity. We thank God for the opportunity to have a discussion with him. And tonight's discussion with God through the pages of scriptures is very important. And we thank God that he has qualified us. He has given us another 24 hours to work the works. And one of those works we must work, as Jesus said, is to believe in him. And tonight we want to have a discussion with God. Of course, it's not going to be an exhaustive discussion because God will have a lot to say on this issue. But as he has permitted to us to have, is what we will share. And our title is Walking with God. Walking with God with God. In fact, that I was not, should I say, confident enough to have um, this discussion. But I, then I just reminded myself that, ah, so the other episodes, was I confident enough? Forgetting the fact that it is just by the grace of God, as he gives and we say what we have to say as vessels where he pours through us. So we are looking at Enoch, Genesis chapter 5, verse number 22. Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch walked with God. In fact, let's just read, let's, let's start from, let's say, verse 19. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Hey, 300 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. <laughs> For Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Uh, I'm sure when they were writing the scripture, when Moses was spending down the scripture, he didn't really understand. Was I just noticed that when you look at, you know, when you use the Greek and the Hebrew um, rendition where they have the strong numbers for you to know the Greek or Hebrew word used. If you look at the verse 24, you realize that an Enoch, there's a Hebrew word, walk, there's a Hebrew word, God, there's a Hebrew word. But if you look at the next phrase, and he was not, there's no Hebrew word, for God took him. So it just gives me the idea that the original manuscript may have something like, and Enoch walked with God for God to kill. But I'm sure Moses was like, ah, Enoch walked with God. And so he had to just, you know, <laughs> maybe it was not Moses, maybe it was the translators who wrote. Yeah, it would be the translators because there's no Hebrew word for them. So I'm sure Moses wrote, and Enoch walked with God for God to kill. But the translation like that, this thing I write in Papa Moses is too deep for us. So they had to write, and he was not. <laughs> Up to now, we don't know. We are just the, 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 the most dominant theory or thought is that he was raptured uh, or uh, he was yeah, he was taken out of this world. All that we know was that he was not. 
And if you look at as they were giving the genealogy, there was nothing said about anybody. All they said was the people they begat who continued their lineage. So you see that they will mention the father and the person taken over from him. Then they will say, and he begat sons and daughters. We are not really concerned about who the sons and daughters were, but so from Seth, you have to Enosh, you have to Cain, you have to people like Mahalel, you have people like Jireh, you have people like Jireh, the father of Enoch, then we have Methuselah, then we have Lamash, then we have Noah. But when you go to Enoch's own, the Bible gave a small caveat, and he walked with God. I really do not know what that verse means in its original sense but it just gives us the hint that Enoch had an unusual relationship with God that in those days was not common to people he had a unique relationship with God but then using scripture to interpret scripture that's where this birth out our discussion so we all know in Amos 3 verse 3 especially when it gets to marriage or relationships this is the most famous scripture that most people are make reference to and it says can two walk together except they agree will a lion cry um, roar in the forest if he had no prey will a long lion cry out of his den if he had taken nothing, can a bird fall into a snare upon the earth where there is no good for him? Shall one take up a snare for the earth and had nothing at all? Shall the trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and if the Lord had not done it? But the main emphasis is on the verse 3. He simply lets us know that nothing just happens. If a lion is rowing in the forest, that means that Charlie, it has gotten something to devour. If a bird, I think, is referring to the eagle coming to snatch um, the fish from the sea. If there's no fish in the sea or in the water, it's not coming to snatch anything. And if the trumpet is blown, there's a reason why the trumpet is blown. So he's letting us know that for people to work together, there must be what we call now this chemistry. So for Enoch to work with God, I don't know what that really means in his entire but I knew that Enoch agreed with God everything that God had to say. So to walk with someone and using scripture to interpret scripture simply means to agree with a person. So I remember how I made a very good friend in the university. The day we met, we met, I, I met a friend who was also that person's friend. And we were heading to the same place, we were heading to the same lecture room. And as we were walking, we kind of had similar opinions or similar reactions to life. And we worked together for four years as undergraduates, one year for national service and two and a half years for masters. We worked for about seven years on campus together because there was agreement on a larger part of our relationship. Of course, we can't agree on everything. So the more we agree, the more we would work. So to say an Enoch worked with God is to simply say an Enoch agreed with God. So when Enoch goes to chat with God, so I can just imagine, so maybe nobody, when when um, Jaira and all those, when they came on the scene, they were not, maybe God made an attempt to have some sort of a relationship with him. So maybe God appeared to Seth and Enosh and Mahalalel and Jaira and all those people, but all of them, they were not really interested in God. You know, when God says, hello, Mahalalel, what's up? Then Enoch was given attitude, and God was like, okay, sorry, then you go and look for another person until he found no Enoch. But he noticed a chemistry between Enoch. It's like a young man looking for a lady. When he sees a lady, oh, hi, I'm Sam, what's your name? Can I have your number? Can we talk? And you talk with this one, as we say in three and five, it has no, it's not, it's not connected. <laughs> Some will say the Bluetooth is not pairing. But then you just meet a particular lady, and then the Bluetooth pairs. You say, ah, I would want to walk life with you. So I'm just assuming that that's what happened. God was chatting with Seth, and it was not working. Chatting with Enoch, it was not working. But when he got to um, Enoch, 
then the Bluetooth connected, and not just an initial crash. It was not a, it may have been a love at first sight, but it was not a crash. It was something that continued. And God knows that now, these guys agree with me. If I say he's more blessed to give than to receive, he takes it personal. If I say he will love his life, madly down his life, he takes it personal. Whenever I say um, um, renew your mind, he takes it personal. Meditation on this inner guy. Actually, the way the guys agree with me, let me just bring him to heaven with me and let's just continue because the world is not worthy of him. So if that's what we want to peruse in the next few weeks, I really don't know how long because God is teaching me on a day-to-day basis and until he, he puts a pause on this on this topic for the semester, <laughs> uh, we will continue sharing. And as I was just thinking about this thing, it just reminded me why I love football so much. And I, I always say that I don't really love the game of football that much. Like, of course, I like to watch football, but I think I like the stories behind football more than the game itself. And the reason why I like the stories of football, because to me, it's a typology of life. I can summarize life in a football, in a career, in someone's career. When you look at someone's career, it's it's very fascinating. And life is a typology of of earth, of living our life. Because, for example, somebody who's going to live, let's say, to be 70 years or 80 years, the person is going to spend fewer of his 80 years playing football. Generally speaking, you enter into professional football at the age of 18. That's when you can sign a professional contract, to the best of my knowledge. Let's say if as a Latin Hebraimovic, you retire at the age of, what, 40. So generally, you have about 20 years of your life to play football. And people rarely, rarely have 20 years to play football. The average football lifespan is 10 years. It's really 10 years. But then you realize that by the time you are ending your career, your life is now coming to start. Because by the time you are ending your career at the age of 40, as they say, I don't know who the day is. <laughs> they say life begins at 40. So it's like you are ending the whole season of your life just to begin life. And that's the typology of, of life on earth. It, no matter how long you live on this earth, the, the duration you are going to live on this earth, it's a speck compared to what we lived after eternity. And nowadays, with the current crop of players, everybody is now conscious of the fact that there is life after football. Because those who entered into football when football became lucrative, most of them wasted their money. And now they had to be living from hand to mouth. There have been so, so many footballers who were making it millions in their playing days. And few years after football, they have nothing. So the quality of life you live as a footballer is directly proportional to the quality of life you live after football. And it's the same thing as our life on earth. How you spend your life on earth, the choices you make here on earth is going to influence where you will spend eternity and how you would spend eternity. So football is fascinating. That's for one reason. And another typology I like about football is the fact that you are able to see a generation upon generation in your life, in your life cycle. So let's say you start watching football at the age of 30 and maybe God calls you home at the age of 80. Between the age of 30 to um, to 80, you have about 50 years. In that 50 years, you will see several players' life cycle. It's like we, we in the sciences, when we are mostly doing, we want to study maybe the effects of something in, 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 a, in a generation. We mostly use things like a bacteria. I think one of the most common ones is what they call E. coli because this bacteria divides and in three hours it has given birth to like about, it has divided, right? not giving birth. It has divided to about 300 um, or in the hundreds of, of, of new bacteria. So in a week, let's say you want to study the effects of a particular drug or something. In a week, you can see the main bacteria 
dividing to become a grand bacteria, a grandson, great grandson, great great. So within the bacteria, you can see how things will pass off from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. And that's what I like about football because you see players' careers, you see different players and their generation. How certain, so for example, people want to play in certain clubs because of the history of the club. So the, 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 the present state of the club may not be well, but because certain people have played in those clubs, they also want to play in that club. And the most common example is like Barcelona. Even though their financial standing is not good, people want to play for that club just because of the history there. Just because great players like Lionel Messi, Ronaldinho, and, and wherever, <laughs> Neymar and the rest have played in those clubs. And that's what I like about football. So in thinking about this thing, it just dawned on me on, 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 a, on a story I heard. I don't know if it's true, but I think it's my reliable source. And I believe for the ladies, I'm sorry for the football scenario I'm going to give, but if I get something that I can relate with ladies, but I'm sure it's, it's going to be relatable. So there's this great football coach called Pep Guardiola, and among many circles, he's regarded as the one of the greatest football managers. And I think that whether you like him or not, you cannot deny the fact that he has revolutionized certain aspects of football. So to the best of my knowledge, I heard people like Johan Cruyff uh, change the philosophy of football. Several people in history have changed how football is played. And in the recent years, it is Pep Guardiola who has changed. In fact, a, a, a coach in the, one of the big six clubs in England recently said, recently as I done my recording, recently said that he's not doing anything new. He's just copying what Pep Guardiola is doing because the guy has revolutionized football. And there's this argument between uh, Sir Ferguson and Pep, who is great. And the unique thing about Pep is that he has made people see football in a new way. So I was just looking at this man and I realized that when he first came to City, the story was that he called one of the greatest players in the club who had won them the Premier League, Aguero. He had called him for a meeting in a restaurant or so. And in this meeting, he was teaching this guy how to be a striker. He says, stand in the box, face this way, run this way. And Aguero, who is a footballer, was just looking at this guy. He says, ah, Mr. Man, I have won, I think, about one or two, I think one golden boot already. I recently won my club, the Premier League. Before you came, I was scoring goals, banging in goals, double-figure goals every season. We can, you know, now you are coming to teach me how to play the game. And taught me something about our work with God. That for many of us, we have built up certain experiences in life. And if we need to work with God, God will need to revolutionize us completely before we can start the journey with Him. And this is the first step in working with God. You need to lay down everything you know about life in order to start a work with God because God is literally almost going to contradict everything you have known to be true, accepted to be true, and lived out to be true. So if Aguero really wanted to play in Pep Guardiola's team, all the goals he has scored, all the success he has struck, all his techniques he has had, he needs to lay it down in order to start a work with God. And for many great coaches, for many great coaches, they like to go into a club where no player is bigger than them. So recently in, in, in clubs like us now, we saw how Ateta has sacked all the old players and wants to deal with young people because he believes that young people are moldable. They have no ego. He can tell them, receive the ball like this, do this. There's another story about how Pep Guardiola was teaching a player, Jack Grealish, how to receive a pass. And the thing that this guy has gone to football academy for about 10 years of his life, they have been 
teaching him something. You just come in and say, receive the ball like this. And according to the news, until Jack Grealish learned how to receive a ball in a particular way, he was never in the starting life, starting lineup. And so is it with God. If you need to walk with God, you will need to agree with God. And the first step of agreeing with God is to completely throw away everything you know about life. In this case of football, you need to throw away everything you know about football. No matter that, even if you have won a Ballon d'Or, as long as Pep Guardiola is the one going to coach you, you will need to throw everything away and start afresh with God. And I just took a journey to the scripture to see if this thing is really true. And all the people that Jesus has met, the starting point was a total demolition of everything they know to be true. Because as I've said, I think when we're doing um, his poema, one of my favorite um, discussions we have had, if you have not listened to it, you can kindly go his poema, was the fact that the Christian life is not an improved life. The Christian life is not, God doesn't come to add to your life. The Christian life is not God adding things or God subtracting things from your life. The Christian life is an exchange life. So it's not as if your life is already there, something good and the rest that God is not come to add this and remove this, add this and no, 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 no. It's like our lives are like an old building. We need to break every structure down, clear the land and erect new structures. When you look at Jesus with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, we see a typical example of Jesus' dealing with this tax collector. Let's briefly look at it in Luke chapter 19, I think from verse 8. It says, and Zacchaeus stood. So now Jesus just went to Zacchaeus actually, I'm coming to visit you. And as he was eating with Jesus, Jesus didn't give him any sermon. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, behold, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore him a hundredfold. It was after Zacchaeus made this statement that Jesus said, this day salvation has come to your house. So before you can start this work with God, you must destroy everything you have built. You must start with ground zero. So if Zacchaeus didn't make this statement, Jesus would have eaten quietly, enjoyed the meal, maybe healed some few sick people, done some wonders, but that would not have revolutionized the life of Zacchaeus. We look at the story of the guy who is referred to as the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, ah, but you, you are a senior man in the law. What does the law say? And I love this young man. He says, ah, I have been doing all these things from my childhood. But this man is an ideal man, a religious, a moral person who is also rich. So this guy was not just rich in wealth, but he was a good guy. This is the kind of guy that every lady is dying for. A rich, sensible guy. And Jesus said, oh, if it's true, so that means you have... So when Jesus asked him that question, he wanted to see how much of his building he has put up. So when he gave his answer, he told her, oh, Jesus said, yeah, you have done well. So you did just add one more percent to your tithe and you go to heaven or you have eternal life. He said, oh, I'm sure when he was talking, Jesus was licking his mouth. Ah, I've gotten somebody. You can see that this guy has built his life like 10 story buildings. And Jesus said, go and sell all you have. He didn't end over there. It's end, follow me. So to start this journey of following Jesus, break down your building, destroy everything, every single thing. And this is where most of us do not even get to pass the first stage of dealing with God. God would have to break you. 
destroy you, bring you to literally ground zero to start building with you. Let's look at another scripture reference. In Matthew 9, Jesus was giving a profound teaching, a short teaching, and he said, Matthew chapter 9, from verse 15 following, he says, And the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, but the day is coming when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. Now listen to what he says. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment for that which is put in it for that which is put in to fill it up take it from the garment and the rent is made worse neither do men put a new wine skin into new bottles else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish but he put the new wine in the new bottles and both are preserved so what is Jesus exactly? I am bringing a new wine, but unfortunately you are an old bottle. Jesus didn't say go and wash your bottle. That's why I said the Christian life is not. God is not coming to add to your life. He needs to take away that old bottle, give you a new bottle. Then you are qualified to receive the new wine. So the reason why most of us are not receiving the new wine is because we are still old containers. And if we have to work with God, and if you are going to work with God, there need to be a total demolition of everything you know and have and believe. And this is what Jesus had a discussion with in John chapter 4, John chapter 3, sorry, with a man called Nicodemus. So this guy came to see Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher and, and I've come from God. And no man can do these miracles except he be of God. Now look at what Jesus is saying. No, now a rabbi has come and is giving Jesus funds. Actually, most of my colleagues will not admit, but we know you are from God because the things you are doing there. If God is not with you, there is no way you can do it. You will think that Jesus will say, "Oh, thank you. I appreciate your kindness and your diplomaticness towards me." He says, "My friend, my friend, my friend. Verily, I verily I say to you, except you are born again." <laughs> Jesus is hilarious. It's like it's like. Somebody come to see a politician or a big man and they say, oh, great one, Charlie, you know you are a good leader. Trying to end, say, my friend, my friend, if you want to join my party, just go and pay your dues and come and join. Go and register in the secretary's office and pay 10000 and come and become a member of my party. No long talks. Now, what is just saying, Charlie, these raps are going to give me, it's not going to change anything. If you want to really benefit from me, you need to start afresh, be born again. So the burning were born, the first one, it is not proper. Be born again. And the guy said, ah, what is this man saying? This? And Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? So that the guy, he was confused. Jesus was simply saying, like, Charlie, if you want to experience this work with me, this new relationship, you need to be born again. You need to start the whole project again because the foundations you have built your life on are wrong and terrible foundations. And all through God's dealings with people, everybody who has had an enviable relationship with God started from zero. Look at the man, Apostle Paul. He was the next big thing in Rome, but God took him to zero. In fact, he had to go and hide in Damascus for about three years before he came back to Jerusalem. And when he even came back, the elders and the people in Jerusalem did not want to receive him. God brought him to his lowest spot. He says, Paul, if you are going to work with me, all the foundations you have laid is rubbish because I cannot put a new wine into an old wine bottle. And in working with God, before we can even start the journey of working with God, you need to lay aside everything. Look at even the man named Jesus. He needed to become humble to the point of being a servant, the lowest possible form for a God 
who had no form of limitation to take upon him the body of a servant and being fashioned like a servant. He, was, he didn't just take on it. He died in the most human. Even God, even Jesus needed to start from ground zero. He learned obedience. Even Jesus did not start from the top. He started from ground zero. Jesus had to learn obedience. And he started learning obedience by learning how to obey his father and his mother. So the, the only thing we are told about Jesus in his childhood are two things. At age 12, he ran away and was in the temple. And the second thing was that he listened to his parents. He was obedient to his parents. Even Jesus did not skip the process. Honey, you need to start from round zero. And this is the first stage many, many people don't pass. The rich young ruler did not pass the first step. But Zacchaeus passed the first step. Paul passed the first step. There was a guy called um, Rick Warren, and he's a prophet, I think, in the United States. And he has written very, one of his most popular books is The Final Quest. He has written several books. I think The Final Quest, they call The Chosen. And if my memory says me right, I think in The Final Quest, before he starts the book, either in the beginning or the end, or I think I read it somewhere, I'm not sure. But he was talking about how he entered into the ministry. And he was saying that when he got a call from God, it was now settled in his heart that Charlie, the ministry now he's going to do. He was like, Charlie, as for him, he doesn't want to be a poor minister. He doesn't want people to think that he's coming into ministry because of money. He can't be going around collecting offering and begging people to help him build church, do projects. He says, no, 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 no. That is too dehumanizing for him. He was a wealthy man. So if I remember, I don't remember the details, but he was like, he, wa- he wanted to work for a period to save up a substantial amount of money so that he goes into the ministry with this money so that he doesn't have to go around depending on people. And that is a very noble thing to do. It's like a young lady saying that I need to get a work, a stable job, a stable income before I marry. Everybody will recommend such an act. In fact, she's celebrated for being an independent woman. So I think he was a pilot. And I think he was saving up his money and he owned either hotel, like he owned a, a number of businesses and they were really making him money. So when his businesses had were self-sustaining, all his businesses were going on very well and they were reaping him profit. Then he decided to quit being a pilot to start the ministry. And according to him, he doesn't know what really happened. All his businesses collapsed. Everything that he had laid to support him for the ministry, everything collapsed. And this guy was like, what is happening to me? God was like, you are too ashamed. And God referred him to the scripture where Jesus sent the disciples. When you are going, do not take anything. Do not take pests. Just take two coats and I think you are sick. And when he went and they came back, he asked them, did you lack anything? And they said, no. That is how you start. You start with zero. And you see, many people, uh, many of my friends were like telling me like this, uh, I want to be an engineer, I want to be a lawyer, uh, I don't want to go, and people think I'm coming for their money. When I'm collecting offering, I'm like, eh, you this pastor. That is the shame that comes with the ministry. Jesus said that no servant is greater than his master. No student is greater than his teacher. If Jesus lived a borrowed life, the tomb Jesus slept in was not his tomb. It was for Joseph of Arimathea. The donkey he rode on to enter Jerusalem was not his donkey. The place he was born, the manger was not his manger. It was a zoo. It was meant for some goat or some sheep or some cow to give birth. So Jesus' whole life, <laughs> one of my spiritual instructors said that he has a teaching that has been Jesus the borrower. Jesus literally owned nothing. The man who owned everything, yet he owned nothing. That Jesus had to go and visit Mary and Lazarus and Martha to get food to eat. He had to visit them to cook food. 
where Jesus had the last supper, it was not his last, it was not his house. So the place Jesus died was the cross that he died on was not his cross. So, like this guy did, it was a sample to let us know that if you are going to walk with God, you will need to start from ground zero. And God gives us a reason why God does things like this. First Corinthians chapter one. God is so generous, He's giving us explanation for his actions. Eh? My father, we are doing things you don't explain. It says, Paul is giving us an exegesis. He says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than death than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. Now look at the verse 26. He says, look at your calling. Consider those who have been called. He says, for you see your calling. So he says, look at the people you have that have received your call as you have. How many of them are wise after the flesh? How many of them are mighty? How many of them are noble? So that when you look at the people that God have called, they are not wise the way human beings will call wise. In the term, they are not intellect, they are not PhD holders, they are not people who have doctrine, they are not people who are strong in academia, they are not people who are mighty, they are not influential people, they are not leaders, they are not captains of industries, they are not movers and shakers of the economy. They are not noble people, they are not sons of rich men, sons of politicians, they are not diplomats. And look at the first thing. Has God not chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? And has God not chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty? And the base things of the world and the things which are despised? Has God not chosen ye and things which are not to bring them not things that are? And he gives us an explanation in verse 29. That no flesh will glory in his presence. That no flesh will glory in his presence. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who are of God, who is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He's simply saying that look at the people that God has chosen. God, there's a pattern to the people that God has chosen. God does not choose the wise. He does not choose the mighty. He does not choose the noble. He chooses the weaklings because they have nothing to glory in. Because these people are at ground zero in life. And it's like he is choosing these people deliberately, those who have nothing, to bring something out of them. And the reason why he's choosing such people is so that no flesh will glory in himself. But Christ has been made unto you. The only glory you are supposed to have is that of Christ. Because Christ has been made unto you everything. So this was what Jesus was telling the rich young ruler when he said, go and sell everything and follow me. He was simply asking the man that, do you know that when you are following me, you have everything. And this is the first test everybody must pass to have a relationship with God. You must value God more than everything and anything. And if indeed it is true, you'll be willing to lay down anything and everything for Jesus. I was listening to a spiritual instructor. He was saying that he can, he will not be surprised that if the rich young ruler had attempted to sell everything, Jesus would have told him, stop, you have passed the test. Because that was God with Abraham. Abraham's whole life was just looking for a son. And when he got the son, God says, bring me the son. And Abraham would be like, hey, God, are you, are you, are you telling me to do human sacrifice? Which scripture? Is this Lord? Show me the scripture. Which scripture is confirmed? You know the way if, if someone from just God tells us to do something, we say, God brings scripture. Let's compare with scripture. Let's exegesis. Let's expose. Let's look like at Abraham just woke up and but when he lifted up his knife, then God says, Now I know. So many a times when God is asking us to lay down everything, He just wants us to see if we value Him more than anything. And in working with God, the first step is that you must know that the person you are working with is worth more than anything and 
everything in this world. That is why he will take you to ground zero so that you would have no reason to be confident in the flesh. So for example, if 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 you are into business, God will take you to zero so that when he finally builds your business, you will not say it's because you know me, I have a PhD in marketing strategic and business building. That is why I'm a good entrepreneur. God will take you to zero. And in anybody that God has dealt with, Moses, who was supposed to be the next Pharaoh, was now a runaway murderer in the wilderness. He was brought to nothing. The man who, when he passed through Egypt, everybody would be saluted because he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Is now running for his life and now taking care of animals in the backside of the, not in the wilderness, in the backside of the wilderness. He was brought to zero. And when God had seen that, yet Moses has now been brought to zero, he appeared to him in the burning bush. And it took Moses 40 years to come to an end of himself. The man David, who was anointed to be king, by the time he could blink his eyes, he has now become like Tarzan, hiding in caves and forests and bushes. Hey! God took him to zero. And the Bible says about the cave of Adullam, that's where David spent most of his life. God brought him those who were rejected, those who were in debt, those who were weak, those who were lame. God didn't bring him um, um, warlords. God didn't bring him engineers. God didn't bring him diplomats. God didn't bring, he brought in weaklings. And God will always start you with weaklings. God will not give you that mighty army. God will not, no, you will start from zero. Joseph, after having those fantastic dreams, ended up in slavery the lowest form possible, being a slave. Because being a slave in those days, you don't even own your own life. It's your master who, who detects everything about you. Look at this man, Daniel. He was a refugee. God will always start you from point zero. And until you are willing to destroy every building you have built, you are not ready to start working with God. Psalm 51 verse 17. I think our last scripture, Psalm 51 verse 17. And I read, For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. What God wants is a certain person. And what is the profile of that person? Somebody with a contrite and a broken heart. When God takes you as he took Job to his lower, when you are at that point, then you lift up your eyes to the hills and you say, where cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the Lord, the maker of heaven. Until you come to an end of yourself, you cannot have a beginning with God. Until you come to an end of your efforts, you cannot enjoy the help of God. And for everyone who would want to work with God, the first step and the first thing we would have to pass is to come to an end, a genuine end of ourselves, where we know with every fiber of our being that if God doesn't open this door, there is no way this door is going to open. And you see, because Moses passed that test, when God sent him, he said, God, if you do not go with me, if your presence doesn't go with me, I will not go, I will not go. Because Moses has learned that a life without God is a wasted life. Moses has learned, if you are not doing it with God, it is not worth doing it because you will incur more loss than anything. And because Moses learnt it in the wilderness, he told God, God, if you no go, go, I no go, go. And until God takes us to that point where we genuinely know that this marriage, that this business, that this career, that this life, I need God all throughout the journey. We are not yet ready to walk with God. And Enoch walked 
with God. And Enoch agreed with God. And Enoch came to an end of himself. To start with God, you need to come to an end of yourself. And anybody and everybody that God has used, he will take you to the starting point. And the starting point is called the point of humility. God will humble you. Where you know you used to be that beautiful lawyer who commanding God will say, honey, I appreciate what you have done in your field. I appreciate the, the doors you have commanded. But if you want to live life on my terms, you need to cast down your crown. That's what happens in Revelation. Before they can worship God, the 24 elders need to remove their crown. If you are still wearing your crown of success, you are still wearing your crown of beauty, you are still wearing your crown of your family background, you are still wearing the crown of your academic excellence, you are still wearing the crown of glory of the flesh, you have no business dealing with God. That's no flesh. That is why God likes taking broken people, rejected people, despised people, people that nobody counts on them because they do not even count on themselves. That's why God will choose an offer like Esther. That is why when she went into the king's chamber, she went to see the chief Enoch and say, Enoch, Enoch, me, I don't know anything about beauty. You just recommend things for me. And the Bible said that Esther only took what was recommended because she learned that if I'm going to make it to the king's heart, I need somebody who knows the king's heart. And it is humility that will make you realize that all that you have achieved, when you bring it before God, it is tough. And until, and that's why Paul said, I count all things but dank. You must count everything you have achieved without God as dank, just so that you can achieve what God has for you. If you want to work with God, it's a very difficult test. I remember the story of one of us, one of a spiritual instructor in Ghana, a medical doctor, born in a very rich family. He started from zero. He was living in a one room with his wife and he gave birth to his first child over there. Zero. You must start from zero if you are going to start with God. So don't come to God like the rich young ruler. I have obeyed all the laws since I was a child. Why am I still not inheriting the kingdom? God will simply tell you, go and sell everything. Not just sell everything, and follow me. Shall we pray? It's a very difficult message and a very difficult reality. But that is the price to pay. That is the price to pay. Just spend some time. Just think our prayer tonight is thinking about God's word. Are we really willing to work with God? Cross-examine yourself. What crown do you still have on your head? What crown do you still have on your head? Some of you, because of your your family background, you have an inflated opinion about yourself. You are like Moses. Because you think you are the next Pharaoh, you can go around killing people. <laughs> oh, mercy. You are like David, thinking that someone has anointed you as prophet, so you are scared. So you are then going straight into the palace. You have a Tarzan, Tarzan life waiting for you. <laughs> Just because you are Joseph and you have a dream and your father is giving you a designer suit. Potiphar's wife is waiting for you to take you to prison just because you are Daniel and you are shark. Nebuchadnezzar is coming to ransack your country. Just because you are Jesus in the form of God, you think you are, you are going to take upon the form of a servant and you are going to humble yourself and learn obedience and suffer the most painful and most disgraceful death, the death one. You will start from the manger. And if you want to walk with God, 
unfortunately this is the only way you must start from the place of genuine humility and you will know that when you are going to say god if you do not go with me i will not go it's our prayer tonight and lord help us to examine ourselves what crowns are we having on our head what crowns are we having on our head that is making it difficult for us to bow down but i reveal the crowns on our heads reveal the things that are making us glory in our flesh reveal the things that are making us pompous in the flesh the egos we have the, the, the reputations we have that is hindering us from having a walk with you in the name of our lord jesus amen 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 and amen walking with the father thank you all for being around thank you all for sticking around for more than three years we are believing god that you will celebrate 50 years of working with the father even as we renew our mind with his word god bless you continue to invite your friends we appreciate all of you on all the podcast platforms we appreciate you on the telegram channel we appreciate your presence and remember we are continuing to give god our very best and we are ensuring that we owe no man nothing but love see you next week and bye bye